0: His popularity is peaking. Mark Niquette, politics and national government reporter for Bloomberg News, joins us along with our colleague, our economics and... Well, it's you know he covers the election. He can now go home and rest for after six hundred days of his popularity covering is him. Not I would waning. I would say his relevance is peaking. Uh, uh, yeah. oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Thank you, Nothing Brendan Greeley, peeping. economic and politics reporter. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank Gladly. you, Mark Niket Boy, thank you for that. anything past this crowd, um, uh, Brendan. Uh, I understand that you have been dialing around the world, emailing with our colleagues across a uh, hundred and forty
2: countries. I have been.
0: Uh, Tell us a little bit about the standout countries and their reaction or their thoughts having to do with the U.S. presidential election.
2: Well, you know, there were two themes for me that emerged. Um, One is that uh, in some ways uh, what Russia and China, uh, and I hate to put them in one big bucket, but they want some of the same things from this election, what they want has already happened, right? So we would suspect perhaps that Russia uh, wants Trump to win. And know what came out of our bureau there is they said, well, what Trump really wants, right? Because if... If Hillary wins and he can still portray Hillary as a cold warrior, it helps him in his, you know, domestic elections coming up. You mean Vladimir Putin? You mean Putin. Vladimir Putin, yeah, okay yes, Sorry. Thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, what he – what Vladimir Putin really wants is for our election process to look bad. For our uh, you know, for, for things to look like they don't work, for it to you know, so this he the Russians believe that we hold ourselves out to be this paragon of democracy. And if it can if it can be a bad, messy, ugly process with lots of, you know, contested votes and Donald Trump failing to concede, then that's great for them because what they really want is to know what is to have proved what they know in their heart of hearts, which is that we're just as bad as they are.
1: Well, hold on a second. That brings me to Mark Niket, who absolutely in my book has not peaked. He is just beginning. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to take off. Mark, is there any indication that what Vladimir Putin wants is happening?
3: Well, if you believe the polls and some of the early voting uh, results we've seen so far, it's it's not looking good for Vladimir Putin. I mean, it looks like, <laughs> in know, other
1: words, <laughs> things are going smoothly.
3: Yeah, I mean, we we don't have sort of uh, reports of mass chaos or hacking yet at the polls. I mean, it's it's early, obviously. We're we're just starting voting in some places, mm-hmm. um, but it does seem like the election is set up to you know have an advantage going in with with Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, particularly in these key battleground states. And what we'll be watching for tonight is, you know, what where does Donald Trump break through? I mean, is he able to sort of run the table, get these key battleground states he needs, and then pick off some of the blue states that he's been campaigning in in the final hours here? I, Brent, I, can, Brent, can we just go continue yeah. around
0: the world, please? Because, I, I, I mean, I'd love that you... Put Russia and China together, we got that. All right. What about some of our allies? What about well, Japan?
2: Yeah, you know, we we were thinking about a change election here. Uh, you know, Japan it was an interesting case. I talked to Chris Onstay out there. He's our he's our, our uh, the head of uh, economic coverage for Asia, and he said, you know, traditionally uh, the Japanese have liked Republican presidents better. They're a little, uh, you know, Bill Clinton slapped tariffs on uh, Japanese luxury cars, right? So this was, you know, these these relationships go way back, and Republicans have tended to be more hawkish uh on you know protection for Japan, the odd vomiting at a Japanese state dinner notwithstanding. Um but we all remember this, right? George H.W. Bush? Yeah, yeah, I knew you were yeah, gonna yeah. do that. Sorry, right. yeah, you knew. I knew, we all knew I was gonna right. okay, do that. Yeah, but right. however, this time, right, the, the the fact that he's a Republican is almost irrelevant and they're really worried about security. And for a lot of these nations, um security is more important than trade. We've been talking about trade in this election. Australia, you're a student of history, Pim. Yes. Their understanding of the American security arrangement with Australia goes back before the Cold War. They're still grateful for services rendered during World War II, and they are aghast that this might be upended.
1: Well, and talking about security in another way, Mark, I want to get a sense from you. How is the security or how substantial has it been increased uh, with respect to elections? I know that the uh, Department of Justice sent some representatives to certain polling sites, Have there been any scuffles? Have there been any issues? Uh, Is there any sign that uh, that anything is being breached or anything is a problem?
3: Yeah, not so far. Um, Again, you know, knock on wood, you know, it's early yet. We'll see what happens the rest of the day. But, you know, there was an intensive effort, you know, when we got some indications of of Russian hacking, you know, um, of the DNC and, you know, even the Clinton campaign, that the election systems might be vulnerable. So there was a concerted effort in these states to, um, you know, secure... If nothing else, their voter registration systems. You know, I don't think we have to worry so much about the the voting machines per se. We have a decentralized system. It would be hard to hack sort of the entire country that way. Um, But there has been an effort in states, and hopefully it's been, you know, there's been enough preparation to to make sure that any attempts,
2: you know, aren't successful. What about vote suppression? Um, I I know that's a loaded term, but, you know, we already have evidence that early voting uh, for African-Americans in uh uh in North Carolina was down close to nine percent they've really changed the laws there uh in in the last two years so do we have any sense that there's frustration long lines uh not and we're not talking about the the actual machines of voting but the you know the, the laws that, that that open the window to vote yeah no, there's already been frustration along
3: those lines like you say in in north Carolina in particular they changed you know the, the voting, uh, machinery so that there were fewer early voting sites the first week of voting in some cases only one site for an entire county when in 2012 there were 16 so you you had you know less opportunities for sure for african-american and urban voters to, to vote in north carolina and other things like that happening around the country and you have seen lines today and the big question going in to this election was how much of the vote was sort of shifted from election day to early voting believe it or not, we've had already more early votes cast for this election than we had entire votes cast in 2012. So wow. we've seen a lot of that vote. For sure, some of that's been moved up. The question is, how much has it sort of increased the vote? And what kind of pressure do we see on election, on polling places today?
1: Mark Diquette, thank you so much for joining us. Brendan Greeley, thank you as well.
0: Bonds, bonds, and more bonds. What's a person to do? Well, one thing is to ask Mark Grant. He is the chief fixed income strategist at Hilltop Securities, and he joins us now. Mark Grant, always a pleasure. Go ahead. Tell us your view of uh, what investment opportunities there may be with fixed income uh, given two presidential scenario outcomes.
4: Hi, Pam. Always a pleasure to be on with you, my friend. Um The the fixed income market, to me, is uh, less clear than the equity market at the moment. I think that uh, if uh, we do elect Donald Trump, it will be a positive for the equity market because he wants to cut corporate taxes. I don't think individual taxes will move, and I think that will be a positive for the markets. If uh, Ms. Clinton wins this election, I think it will be a negative for the equity markets because. Uh, She clearly wants to raise personal taxes, and corporate taxes won't be uh, lowered. In terms of bonds, to address your uh, question specifically, Pim, uh, we don't know what the Fed is going to do. They're talking about raising rates, possibly, which is, I think, the main reason we've seen a backup in yields here. But we've got the European Central Bank and the Japanese Central Bank that are also affecting the markets. So we've come off the low, but uh, I think the picture for bonds at the moment is very murky.
1: uh, Mark, you know, we were talking earlier about inflation and how uh, some people, including Alan Greenspan, is coming out and saying inflation is ticking up in the U.S. and will continue to accelerate. What's your view?
4: I don't agree with uh, Mr. Greenspan, with all respect. I think inflation is very muted and that uh, I have no expectations for it to affect the markets, uh, at least for the next six months or a year.
1: So given that uh, 30-year U.S. bonds, where do you expect yields to go from here?
4: I said earlier, I wish I could give you a better answer, a more specific answer. I think it's very murky. There's talk that the ECB may be slowing down, that the Japanese are rethinking and may be slowing down. There's talk of the Fed <clears throat> raising rates in December, which I think is likely, though what that's going to do to the longer end of the curve is unclear. But basically, I think we're kind of in a range here, under 2%. Uh, and if the fed doesn't do anything then i think we go back down break through the support resistance line which is a 169 you you're talking 1. about the 10 year you're talking the about tenure.
1: for the 10 year right? right uh so l- just what are the two scenarios here let's say clinton gets in uh, ms clinton gets elected president uh, where do you see longer term bond yields going and then vice versa with uh with uh, mr trump
4: well i it, it, if she get if miss clinton gets in we're probably looking at somewhat higher yields only because she wants to increase taxes pay for uh, universities for free she has a tremendous amount of big government uh, spending as part of her uh, policy statements and consequently i i think we would have somewhat higher yields if donald trump is elected he also has a lot of infrastructure uh, spending in, as part of his package, but he wants to uh, lower uh, corporate uh, taxes to 15%, which I think would be a boon uh, for the market, and we would probably have somewhat lower yields.
0: Mark Grant, i wonder if you could comment on bond liquidity, and maybe it's a time to reflect on the last four years, whether you've seen big changes in the bond market compared to four years ago.
4: We've seen uh, huge changes in liquidity The uh, because of all the Dodd-Frank rules. Uh, the banks have to carry much more capital, which means that their uh, portfolio of uh, bonds and also the uh, Big banks that are uh, dealing in the treasury market or in corporate bonds or in municipal bonds have uh, sizably less portfolios. So a lot of the larger institutions, money managers and insurance companies are having uh, some difficulties uh, uh, moving their positions because of this.
1: Mark, what's your what's your biggest contrarian call right now?
4: Uh, That Trump wins the elections.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you still stand by that?
4: I still stand by it. I think uh, I think people in America are voting against and not for, and I think uh, that there's a lot of anger in, in, in the electorate uh, for all kinds of reasons. And I think at the end of the day, uh, I don't know, it's just a feeling I have. It's a deduction based upon uh, this that I think uh, there's going to be a big surprise and Trump is going to win the election.
0: You spend time speaking with overseas investors what is their perspective about the outcome of the election
4: it's a good question without uh, any doubt the vast majority of uh, foreign uh, institutions are hoping that miss clinton gets elected and that we have a continuation of the uh, obama policies i mean ultimately Pim, uh hillary clinton represents the ultimate insider and Donald Trump Trump represents the ultimate outsider, and uh, uh, most foreign institutions want the status quo to continue.
0: Now, would that status quo mean that rates in Europe stay lower than rates in the United States? Does that make sense to you?
4: Well, it only makes sense when you consider what the ECB, the European Central Bank, is doing, that it makes every bit of sense. They're out there buying a tremendous amount of not only sovereign debt but corporate debt and uh, in Japan uh, the central bank is not only buying sovereign debt corporate debt but they're also buying equities so you're monetizing the debt in uh, a substantial portion of the world which is why yields in Asia and yields in Europe are so much lower than yields in the United States.
1: Mark what's the big tail risk right now in markets?
4: Well, I think Donald Trump represents a tail risk uh, because no one will quite know what to do with it. So I, I would say that his election is the biggest tail risk that exists right now. The second biggest would be if the uh, ECB and the Japanese central bank stopped the intervention, stopped the quantitative easing, and then we would also see uh, higher higher
1: What's What's the bet that you have the most conviction on? What's the
4: call? The call that I have the most conviction is that uh, uh, I guess it would be having to do with the election. I just – I feel that Donald Trump is going to get elected. I'm not saying I'm for him, but I think that, again, as I said earlier, there's so much anger in this country about the way the government is being run – People are going to vote uh, in a New York fashion at the uh, Yankee Stadium in the bleachers to throw the bums out.
1: Mark Grant, thank you so much for joining us. Mark Grant, chief fixed income strategist at Hilltop Securities, taking a look at bonds and the murky picture out there for yields, given the uh, the current backdrop. To put knowledge uh, to work in the real estate industry, particularly whether or not uh, we are in a real estate downturn and how bad it will be. If so, I want to bring in Jay Rollins. Thank you so much for joining us, co founder of commercial real estate firm JCR Capital. So, are we in the middle of a real estate downturn right now?
5: Uh, the answer to that is no. We're not in the middle of a real estate downturn. We are in the top of what uh, in most markets would be described as uh, the top of the bubble. And that bubble will slowly deflate over the next two to four years, but uh, you shouldn't call it a downturn. Jay Rollins, tell people a little bit about uh, JCR
0: Capital based in Denver, just so they have an understanding of your perspective.
5: Sure. JCR Capital is a commercial real estate finance company, we're based in Denver, Colorado. We focus on middle market commercial real estate transactions. So we finance uh, multifamily industrial office, uh, uh, land, condos, and uh, multifamily around the country. We see transactions from coast to coast. So we have a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on in the commercial real estate market.
0: So, where, where is this, sorry, Where is it strong and where is it weak? Can you characterize the markets for us geographically?
5: Oh, it's certainly stronger uh, in the coastal cities. Uh, we, we call them, uh, the glamour cities. Like, yeah, you know, like you're in New York, so you're part of the glamour crew. But that would be New York. Expected that
1: much. Yes, with
5: that would be uh, New York, uh, L.A., San Francisco, Boston, Washington. Those markets are a little bit insulated from my prior comments because foreign money is coming into those markets and propping up real estate. Still. Still, well, if you have a if you're in Japan and you're getting a a negative on two uh, percent on your uh, tenure, uh, you don't mind getting a four percent cap rate on a building. So those markets will continue to be supported by foreign money. But I think the the smart money and the interesting play is away from those glamour Where's cities. Where's that? That those are markets like um, uh, Phoenix, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Houston. Dallas, Tampa.
1: Well, hold on a second because you were just saying that we're at the top of the bubble and that there might be a little bit of a deflation coming uh, in values. Where where is a deflation going to going to happen if you think that the glamour cities are are in a more resilient spot?
5: That's going to happen in the markets I just mentioned, in, in the Phoenixes, in uh, Denver, in um, uh, Las Vegas, in Houston, in Dallas. And what you're going to see is a slow decline in values that are not going to be driven by necessarily uh, market fundamentals. It's a, it's a little bit more detailed than that. It's going to be driven by the regulated capital exiting the business, the non-regulated capital coming into the business, which is more expensive money, and what the thing that people are not talking about is you're going to see a flattening of top-line rents. Uh, The last seven years, everyone's made money in this business by increasing rents. But incomes have not increased as much, so you're going to see a flattening of revenues and an increase in the capital structure. Can you just talk a little bit about
0: Dodd-Frank legislation and how that affected the real estate lending business?
5: Sure. Dodd-Frank has worked, and um, to the chagrin of the uh, CMBS industry— That's
1: commercial mortgage-backed securities.
5: And the whole purpose of Dodd-Frank was to take um, regulated money, the money that uh, you and I back uh, from the banks, and take them out of the risk game and put in non-regulated money uh, into that game. And that's exactly what happened. And you're seeing the exact result in the CMBS market. The CMBS market is a small shell of its former self and will continue to be because of the Dodd-Frank regulation. So there's a lot of whining on Wall Street about about it but Main Street has been protected by Dodd Frank.
1: So Jay, if you do expect a decrease in in prices in places like Phoenix and uh, Denver, when do you buy?
5: Well, in the middle market, it's interesting. We're buying all the time. And the other thing that people don't talk about in the middle market where we where we play, which we describe as assets that are fifty million dollars or less, the story that no one's reporting but you'll hear it here first on Bloomberg Radio, is the changing demographic of the ownership base of those markets. Those owners of those assets are not institutions. They are individuals and partnerships of individuals. These people tend to be between the ages of 50 and 75. They are exiting the business. And when they exit the business, they through death, divorce, health issues, That creates an opportunity to come in and buy, and it may not be at the top of the market, it may not be through a marketing um, sales, but that is the opportunity.
0: Thank you very, Jay Rollins, I hope you'll uh, spend more time with us in the future. Managing Principal Co-Founder, JCR Capital, based in Denver.
1: Drugs and Money. That's what we're going to talk right now. While everyone's focusing on the U.S. presidential election in California, there's a proposition uh, that's on the ballot to make marijuana legal. I want to bring in Adam Bierman, co-founder and CEO of MedMen, a firm that invests in the marijuana industry. Adam, thank you for being with us.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: So do you think this is going to pass in California?
6: (laughs) It's one of those things I don't want to say too much and then people don't go vote, but I don't think we have that kind of power. So, yeah, I I do think that uh, I think we'll we'll have success with Prop 64 today. Obviously, until it's done, it's not done. There's still a lot of people working very hard. Uh, This is not a standard day for us. Uh, We are running around like crazy, but um, everything indicates that, that it will pass.
0: Adam. Tell us about the money involved in the industry if the ballot initiative is successful. And then can you give us an example of something that MedMen has done so we get the connection with what it is you're doing in the industry?
6: Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I think if you're going to follow the money, um, you know, tomorrow or starting tomorrow, I think I think California is really a watershed moment for everything that a lot of people have going to work their entire lives to create as far as an opportunity goes from a commercial uh, perspective in regards to the industry. Um, With California going, you've got uh, a a newly created uh, market that's worth an excess projection of $8 billion a year. Um, And with that, you know, there's no longer ignoring the reality of of this industry. And I think, you know, if you're going to, again, follow the money, I think that you'll see participation um, start to happen and you'll see capital formation, you know, uh, uh, around the space like we've never seen with velocity that, you know, we could never, uh, never have anticipated, Um, you know, six months ago, 12 months ago, even three weeks ago. Right. Um, But. You were in a position now where everybody's paying attention. You know, these discussions are happening. You've got real capital that's been sitting on the sidelines. And with California going um, and that type of opportunity, uh, that that capital can't sit. Uh, on the sidelines anymore. So, so I think you'll see a flood of capital into the space um, on, on the heels of hopefully California passing, as well as, I mean, we're talking about there are five states right. that are voting to legalize recreational marijuana today.
1: Right. So your firm MedMan was uh, created in 2007 and is based in Los Angeles. It's helped also more than 100 businesses enter uh, in the legal marijuana market. What kind of businesses are these?
6: Well, you know, to to answer that question and then, you know, Pim's second part of his question, I mean, what what we do from the capital side in in our uh, private equity fund is, you know, we invest directly into the space uh, and the universe that is growing manufacturing and selling legal cannabis. So we invest directly in the real estate side. Um, we invest all the way up to the to the business on top. So if you're going to talk about California and, you know, the types of opportunities that are presenting themselves uh, today and then on the heels of hopefully passing Prop 64, you know, we're um, investing in, in, in zoned real estate that is zoned for marijuana, um, you know, the business on top of that. Uh, piece of real estate when recreational passes uh, is, you know, that much more valuable, willing to pay that much more of a premium to sit on that plot of land that's entitled uh, for a marijuana business. So, just as a quick example as to what happens and the kind of consequences of recreational passing um, to a, a, a company like ours or a fund like ours that's putting dollars to work in the space, I guess that would be an example.
0: Now, Adam, the number of states nine states are going to have marijuana related ballot measures they're on the ballot today mm-hmm. is there a state other than california that you believe investors ought to be paying <laughs> attention to as perhaps big players they're all going to go after the big market but is there a business opportunity in some of the other states where's the best place
6: there's business opportunities everywhere <clears throat> I don't I don't select one state over another I think the opportunities just differ differ on a state-by-state basis and furthermore for the investors you know opportunities differ based you know on an investor to investor basis right so you know retail investors I think tomorrow we're going to take advantage of you know, uh, stock opportunities. You know, buying into companies that are publicly traded, that are real viable companies, that are creating lines of their. But it's business difficult. But to, I got to say,
0: it's difficult to find them uh, in the fine print. It's not difficult to find the name cannabis or marijuana in the name of a company.
6: <laughs> sure, right. But I, I, but I think that kind of information comes to the surface as this industry becomes, you know, uh, more publicly, uh, uh, you know, promoted and more publicly kind of, you know, palatable, if you will. So, you know, I think all that changes, I think it depends on the investor and depends on the mandate. If you're a retail investor and you're buying stocks and as of tomorrow, you decide to take a look at Scott's miracle grow, cause they decided to put half a billion dollars into cannabis. Then you do that. If you are, you know, a, a fund like ours, you know, we have now more, more access to deploy more capital into more markets as of tomorrow. Wow. Um, you know, if you're a high net worth individual and you happen to live somewhere, you know, in the Northeast, And Massachusetts, you know, passes recreational marijuana, there'll be opportunities there, whether you're investing directly into the space, into one of the license holders that's raising capital, maybe you're making a real estate play there, Um, you know, there's, or maybe, you know, just providing debt or a loan. So there, there are... There, there's, you know, this is a real. I say this all the time. This is a real industry. All right. Well, we're going to um, we're like, going to
0: check in with you as, as we get the results of the of the ballot initiatives, uh, and we'll uh, we'll follow up with Adam Bierman. He is the co-founder and the chief executive of MedMen. Uh, they're based in Los Angeles.